But what's cool about it is not only we're looking at those two men, but we're also looking at the heart of the man that was sending them, Joshua. What we saw in that message was the city was under siege at this moment. Um, literally, there is uh, there's death and carnage taking place. What's happened is God is bringing judgment upon the people that have opposed him. They've made themselves the enemies of God. And in the midst of all of this extremely dangerous situation, what we heard was this compassionate command from God as Joshua was, was so concerned about this one single person, about this lady Rahab. And he, he literally sent these men back in. And his number one concern, his priority, was her. And what we saw in this beautiful thing was the heart of God. We saw the heart of God in Joshua. And in 1 Timothy 2.4, we hear there's a verse that many times we read and we don't really connect all that's attached to the wording here. Notice that he says, who will have all men to be saved. Now we think about that, would have all men to be saved. That's the heart of the Lord. He's looking at every single person that he's ever created, all men. And he says, you know what, the devil wasn't, or the, the hell was not created for God, for men. It was created for the devil and his angels. God's desire is not that any would ever go there. But we have free will, and unfortunately that's, that's not the case. But his heart is to see everyone saved. And then the next part, it says, and come unto the knowledge of the truth. See, the truth is that this world is wicked. The truth is that this world has fallen. The truth is that man is naturally sinful. And because of that, we needed a Savior. And this is why today is important. This is why, as we're celebrating during this season, we don't know exactly when Jesus was born. We picked the 25th. But you know what? What we're doing is we're celebrating the coming of a Savior. We're celebrating the purpose of why Christ came. Understanding that baby born in a manger of Mary, he came to die. That's the thing. We think about that baby, and we're all about celebrating the baby, but understand that the other end of the spectrum is the fact that he came to suffer. He came to die. He came to die as a criminal, to be tortured and murdered as an, as a, as a, as a, as a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not guilty. Innocent, that's the word. Thank you very much for y'all's help. As an innocent man, right? Tortured to death as a criminal, yet being innocent. And here's, that's the truth. The truth of the Savior. And that's what this world needs to know. That's why the Bible says, share the truth in love. Share the story of why Christmas is Christmas. It's not about stores. It's not about shopping. It's not about gifts. It's not about saying It's not about trees. It's about a child who came to die. Because of us. But through that... We hear that through that compassionate command, what we see is God then fulfilled a, a promise honored. And what we saw was it took us back to those two young men. And what happened when they initially met Rahab months or weeks before was the fact that she, after proving her faith and protecting, what happened was she, she, made a, uh, she said, make a vow to me that you would protect me, that you'd save me, save my family and me alive. And what happened was she, she requested, she put by faith, she put her faith in these men. And what happened was it's a picture of the salvation that we receive through Christ, through putting our faith in the promise of God. And through receiving the gospel, what we see is you and I can be redeemed from who it is we used to be. And what we find is in the completion of this, we saw that, 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 uh, that promise being honored. We saw the strong, these men, helping the weak. Rahab was unable to get herself out of there, but God sent men to save her. And when we think about these two men that went into this situation that risked themselves, what they were doing is certainly they were honoring their vow to Rahab, no doubt about it. But at the same time, they're honoring the man who sent them. They were given a command, and they responded to that command. And we saw a faithful response last week in that message. And we talked about the fact that the result of their salvation, the reason why they were saved, and the reason why they were delivered was because they simply fulfilled what God asked of them. And we saw in their deliverance a picture of Christian discipleship, a picture of us. What happened? These men went where she was, right? They went where she was to bring her out, to bring her out into safety, to bring her out of the world that she knew. And what does God require of us? 
That we're supposed to go out into the world. We're supposed to reach the world. Not just to reach them, but we're supposed to bring them out. To bring them out of where it is they were. And what happens when we reach somebody for Christ? What do we do? We then draw them out of the old life that they used to live. And we bring them into a, 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 an intimate walk with God. That's, that's the picture that we see here. And through that aspect of what we're called to do, we recognize the fact that God has an accountability. Just like he had an accountability for them, God's given us a command as well that we're supposed to respond to. And then this took us to a mission fulfilled. And in this review, as we look at this, what we saw is the fact that not only was Rahab and her family saved and her, literally her, her, her uh, what do you call those things? Duh, things you own. Possessions. Possessions. There you go. Man, you guys are helping out with this so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I should have written it down. Um, but what happens as this picture, what we saw is a picture of complete redemption. We see this redemptive hand, the merciful hand of God that not only is honoring the promise, but also showing his faithfulness, not only to save her, but then to make sure that she was safe and that she was, she were gathered into his arms. And what a gorgeous picture that is for us. So that's where we left off last week. So at this point in time, Rahab and her family, they're safe and sound. They are set free from the circumstances of Jericho. But see, understand, God's judgment is going to continue. Now, we know at this point in time, the fighting's over. Okay? Death by way of the sword, that's, that's all wrapped up. The people have been completely, completely wiped out. Yet there is one final judgment that's going to face this city. And this morning, so as we look at this uh, destruction of Jericho, which is what we're going to witness today, we're going to consider the impact that it's going to have on its only surviving ex-residents in regards to this message and how it hits them. It's going to be called safe and secure. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to be in your house. I thank you for each one that came out on a rainy day. And, Lord, I don't know what it is about rain, but for whatever reason, I hope Baptist Church, that brings the people. Uh, so, Lord, I'm thankful, uh, God, that you spoke to our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. Uh, Lord, grip us. Lord, speak to us in a way that, Father, we cannot deny that it's you. I know you've spoken to me throughout the week as I've written and studied through this message, and I would ask that you speak through me. Help me, Lord, to disappear, that you might appear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua 6, verses 24 and 25. It says, And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab and harlot, the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in the Israel, even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to consider this catastrophic event, but what we're going to do is we're going to consider its aftermath and everything from two different perspectives. Once, first of all, from a collective perspective, and then second, from a personal perspective. Verse 24 is going to give us the collective. This is going to be the overall. We'll see the sorrow of, of judgment, and we're going to see the glory of redemption. Then in verse 25, we'll see it on a personal level. What we're going to see here is the intimacy of salvation and the security of family. And this is a really, really Awesome. If I, don't get, if I don't mess this up, this is going to be great. I'm telling you. Lord, help me not to mess up. But we've already stated what's happening here is, is out of, outside of Rahab and her family, everything, everyone has been killed. God has meted out his judgment upon this place, this pagan city, and no one has escaped. And so with that backdrop, we look now at that sorrow of judgment. Verse 24 says, And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein. What we see is outside of the things that God would preserve Everything else, nothing would be spared. And the instrument that God's going to use for the destruction is, in fact, fire. 
Interestingly enough, if you do a Bible, if you look through your Bible and then your King James Bible, the word fire shows up 515 different times. And it'll have different meanings. Sometimes it's focused on simply on judgment. Other times it's focused upon God's power. Other times it's about cleansing. It's about refining. But what you'll find most times is it's actually kind of a, a combination of those. We sort of see that they're, uh, they're uh, simultaneously being used. But the very first time that it shows up, this is the law of first mention. We find it in Genesis chapter 19, verse 24. And it's in regards to the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, And then the Lord rained, at, rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now, so what we see here is when God uh, references this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, what he's actually doing is pointing to an ultimate destruction, an ultimate judgment. There's ten different times in Scripture in the New Testament Jesus is going to reference back to that judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But we notice here that there's, in this account, that's not just fire. In this verse 19.24 in Genesis where it first shows up, it showed up as, nice, as fire, but also was also with brimstone. Now, we all know what fire is, but when it comes to brimstone, I think we've all heard about brimstone for a long time. We're like, yeah, yeah fire and brimstone. But who knows what brimstone is? Brimstone actually means burning stone. It's actually referencing the smell that comes from burning stone. And what's interesting is the fact when you go to Revelations 21.8, which is the very last time the word fire shows up, guess what? It's also in conjunction with brimstone. So we see about brimstone, this, this uh, aspect of, of sulfur. What, if you never don't know what sulfur is, if you've ever smelled a rotten egg, that's sulfur. If you've ever been around like a, a skunk, when he skunks you. My dog used to have a dog, or my, my, my dog used to have a dog. My brother, <laughs> not a dog. My brother used to have a dog. That was obsessed with chasing animals. And one day, and he lives in California, one day he was outside and we heard this squeal. And it was like, oh man, what happened? We go outside and man, that dog had just taken it right in the face. It was covered in that skunk stink. And what you're supposed to do, it's funny because it was a really light colored dog. This isn't in my message, but I'm just going to share it with you. It was a really, really light colored dog. And the way you get rid of that smell is with tomato juice. So that dog was pink for like a week. It was bizarre. Anyway, um, but that smell, that stink. What's interesting about that sulfur is sulfur comes from the burning of fossil fuels. It also comes from the decomposition of, of matter, of flesh. So decomposed flesh, the smell, the overwhelming smell that we smell is sulfur. That sulfur is associated with death. And there are th few things more putrid. You ever go out in your garage and a mouse has died in your garage? Oh, the overwhelming stink that's gone in that, that you smell. It's absolutely horrific. And see, it's not by coincidence when a volcano erupts that you know what it smells like? Sulfur. Because burning rock gives off an incredibly distinct smell of sulfur. It smells awful. So here we have lava, which is burning stones, burning rock, the very thing that brimstone is. And we see that when it come, when, if it were to collect into a large group, we might call it a lake, a lake of fire. Notice this in Revelations 21.8. This is the very last time that fire shows up in Scripture. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers or idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the first mention, as well as the second mention, have brimstone attached. It is pointing to an ultimate judgment representing the death and complete destruction. And what we see at Jericho is that it's different. We see here that the, 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 dynamic is, the dynamic is different because it's just fire. There is no brimstone associated in this passage. So what we find is the fact that this fire represents God's judgment, yes, but at the same time it also represents God's cleansing, God's refining. And this is an important thing. Fire is sometimes things that God 
you'll find it in scripture, God references the fact that he'll put us in fire. Not talking about us burning, but he's talking about a circumstance or a situation where we feel intensity, where we feel sometimes an emotional intensity. And what happens in those refining moments is God's trying to strip away things inside of us. What you find is the fact that, look in Zechariah 13, 9. Listen to what he says here. It says, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried and they shall on my, and they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Isaiah 48, 10, behold, I have refined thee, but not, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. He says, I have put you in a difficult situation because what I'm going to do is I'm going to burn away the things in you that need to be taken out. What we find is in a refiner's fire, what happens when you put a precious metal into the refinery, what happens is it burns out the impurities, all those little things that you don't want in there. The hotter the fire, the more the impurities burn out. So guess what? In our lives, God puts us in intense, challenging situations to refine us. And what happens so many times because we are blind. We look at our circumstance and our situation and we want to complain about where we are instead of having the perspective to go, maybe God's doing something. Maybe I am where I am because God's doing something. Maybe I'm in the midst of the refiner's fire right now. Maybe God's trying to burn out impurities in me. And you know what? The longer we hold on to impurities, the longer we stay in the fire. The sooner you let go, man, the sooner God will burn them away and bring you out. But understand this, even when we're in the fire, this just shows you the faithfulness of God, the love of God. Isaiah 43, 2, you know what he tells us in the midst of that verse? When you're in the fire, I will be with you. So even when you're there, why do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're in the fire, right? And they are not burned, because what is that? When the king looks in, what does he see? He said, and there's one, it's the Son of God. And when they came into that fire, guess what? The only thing happened was the rope was burned off. They didn't even smell of soot. They were protected in the fire, but you know, the fire had a purpose, a refining fire in our lives, man. We so many times want to complain about them, but you know what? If we let them and embrace them for what they're doing, man, they can change us and make us better. <clears throat> so Jericho is in the midst of a judgment, and it's in conjunction with cleansing because the component of brimstone is not a part of this happening here at Jericho. So we know that Jericho is going to be rebuilt. It's not going to be utterly destroyed. You go to Mark 10, 46, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he is in Jericho, he's leaving, and there's a man by the name of Bartimaeus who's blind, and he claims he calls out to God, and Jesus saves him just outside of the walls of that city. So the fire at Jericho is picturing not ultimate destruction. What it's picturing is a cleansing, a clean slate, a start over, a restoration. And we might think, well, how does all this sorrow of judgment apply to us? We think about our world. How does it apply to us? Well, can I tell you that there's coming a day? And we know this, that God is going to judge this world. Yeah. Jericho is a picture of the world. God is going to judge our world, our Jericho. And when he does, can I tell you, there is not an ultimate destruction, but there is most certainly a destruction. There's going to be a start over. We look here in 2 Peter 3, verses 7 through 14. It says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, listen to that heart, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He says, think about this coming and who is, what kind of life are you living? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And listen, the only way that we can live in all holy conversation and godliness, and the only way we can be found in peace without spot and blameless is through the redemptive power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never do it through your will. We are not righteous. His righteousness is imputed unto us. His death on the cross, His work on our behalf gives us something that we could never gain on our own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's His work not ours. And it's in that glorious truth that we'll consider the glory of redemption. Verse number 25 or 24 says this, Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So the only things that are spared from destruction from Jericho are the vessels that God will value. And not only does he value them, he's going to bring them unto himself. And interesting enough, we notice that he uses the term Vessels, vessels. Now, what's interesting about Scripture is God actually talks about us as vessels. He references us. A vessel is a container. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 67 says this, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive the Spirit of God. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He's saying, listen, as believers, we have the light of God within us. Godly works that are done, not because of us, but because of Him. The light of God shones out of us. But He calls them earthen vessels because guess what? We're made from the earth. That's where we come from. It says in Psalm 103, verse 14, For He knoweth our frame, our frame, our physical. He remembereth that we are dust. God formed us from the dust of the earth. We look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God created us as a vessel to be filled with the living spirit of God. That's his plan. Listen, as a boarding in believer, you would be called in the Bible a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. Listen to this. That's designed to contain the spirit of God that lives within us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. So vessels of honor are of great value to God. They're precious to God. If you didn't know it, you're saved, you're precious to God. He loves you desperately. But those who have never received Christ as their Savior, understand they're listed as vessels of dishonor. 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. Notice that's what's in our scripture, gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Listen, we see the vessels of honor described as gold and silver. But then we see and understand why. Because vessels, vessels of gold and silver, they can be refined. They can be purified. But notice this. Where the vessels of dishonor have made of wood and earth. And guess what you cannot do? You cannot refine wood and earth. Verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these. If you go to verse 19, it's talking about sin, iniquity. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. 
So he says, look, you can be that vessel of honor. A vessel of honor are the ones that God, they're the ones that possess the spirit of God. Listen, if you're here today and you're religious, you might be a good person as far as you're concerned, as far as the world's concerned, but you don't possess the spirit of God within you, which guess what? You are a vessel of dishonor. I don't care how you sell it to the world from God's eyes, a vessel of dishonor. We're not better than anyone else because we're a vessel of honor. We, all we've done is receive the gift that God offers to the world. We were, we were a mess without him. So all good works are done because of the power of God, not through, through ourselves. And what we find is the fact that Jericho, at Jericho, the vessels of honor are going to be spared. But those that are dishonored, those that are those that are vessels of dishonor, they will be utterly and completely destroyed. God's judgment, it's inescapable. If you are that, that, uh, that uh, dishonorable vessel, you will not be saved. The Bible says it will be destroyed. And not only are the ones that are the vessels of honor, not only are they spared, not only are they, are they, are they, are they seen by God, but they're not only, they're, they're brought, notice what it says, into his house. Right? They're brought into his house. They're treasured by God. God treasures us. He would have all men to be saved, but when we receive Christ and we trust in the gift that he sent, who grew to die, man, God says, that's, that's what I honor. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He's saying, be a vessel of honor. And if you are, I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says, you'll be my family. A child of God. That's what our future holds as a vessel of honor. The glory of redemption. But see, for the unsaved world, what does the future hold for them? They will suffer the sorrow of judgment. And we read this and we go, wow. Listen, this is a real account of a real place. You can go where Jericho was. You can go there today. You can go and see it. This thing took place this judgment took place. This is a real event. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen again. Only not on a small local level. It is going to be a global event. And every person will face the judgment of God. So that's the collective. Well, let's look at that now from personal. Verse 25 says this, the intimacy of salvation. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, in her father's house and all that she had. Take note that it says that Joshua saved Rahab. But last week... We had an entire message about those two men. Man, those guys, they were the ones that risked their lives. They were the ones that put their lives on the line. They were the ones that responded to the call. These were the guys that did it, but yet it says Joshua saved Rahab alive. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if we were at our job and our boss, we just finished this awesome, huge project, and our boss put out a memo and said, look at what I've accomplished. We wouldn't be like, man, that is great. That is super. No. If we were in these guys' shoes, we'd be like, Joshua saved Rahab. What's up? What, 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 what? Yo, man, Joshua wasn't even there, man. Yo, we was the ones dodging the arrows and the slings. and that. Man, we were the ones fighting through the road, fighting through the streets. We were the ones that went in there. He's going to take credit for what we That's how it's going to go in the history books? What? That's really what's going to be said. Okay, okay. So it's going to go down. That, yeah. Joshua saved Rahab. Man, I'm writing a letter to HR. No way, man. Because we want to get credit for what we do, don't we? Yeah. That's just the way we are. But what we see is this. Guess what? Did you notice that these men are never even named? Not one time. Zero recognition. 
Colossians 3, verses 22 through 25. And the ladies are doing the study on Colossians. Ladies, if you telling you what, you want to do a study that will knock your socks off, Colossians chapter 3. That is going to be phenomenal. And Liz is putting a tremendous amount of effort and energy into writing up these things. The books, it is going to be tremendous. So if you've not gotten involved, get involved. Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Says this, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't do what you do to please the men, to please people, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And when you hear that, not unto men, we think that we're doing it just for people, but guess what? The men in there is also ourselves. That's also us. Don't do it unto yourself. Remember why it is you're here. What does it say in the next verse? Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Why are you on this earth? It is not to serve ourselves. We are here to bring glory to God. The less glory we receive, the more He receives. In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord is addressing this problem with pride and this problem of wanting to get recognition. And He talks about prayer. He talks about giving. He talks about fasting. In each one of these, he says the same thing in each one. Notice this. He says, Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God will reward your efforts. Do it for Him. Don't do it for anyone else. It says, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. What we see here in Joshua, in Joshua receiving the credit for Rahab's rescue, we see a picture of faithful men, unnamed men, who did exactly what they were called to do. Not so that they would be remembered. It's not about them. They do it for him. They do it for their Joshua. And we do what we do for our Joshua. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because listen, when we are used by God to do something and we want credit, we are in our flesh. Because the Spirit is here to glorify the Lord, to glorify Christ. You and I are not here to glorify ourselves. We are here to glorify God. When we seek recognition, we are in our flesh. And let me just tell you this. If you do get earthly recognition, there will be none in heaven. You just got what you're going to get. Notice this, Matthew 6, 2. Jesus tells us this. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If they wanted the rewards of men and they get the accolades of men, in my eyes they have done nothing. We do all that we do for the glory of God. And any truly good work, understand, it is not through us. It's only through the power of God working in our lives. We're only to be conduits to get people from where they are to the Lord. That's the whole thing. These men don't need to be named. We don't need to know who they are because they're a picture of who it is we're supposed to be. Yes, we're supposed to identify with them, but you know what? So many times because of our our pride, we want to be seen. We want to be recognized. But what we see in this is the fact that these two men, they went back and got her, but they wouldn't have gone if if Joshua hadn't sent them. Joshua sent them. It was his heart that pulled them out. It was his heart that made sure that she was remembered. And what we see is by him calling her by name, Rahab, that there is a personal relationship. It's a picture of the personal relationship that we can have with our Savior. God may have used someone to reach us, but our relationship's not with them. They can't save us. The Lord's the one that saved us. Recognize this is not a group salvation. This is an individual thing. We're not saved because of our family, because of our religious background, our church, our ethnicity. None of those things. This is a personal, individual, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And it's offered to anyone. Everyone. And if we've received the gift of God and we are born again, we need to live 
our lives and give glory to the Lord every day, to live with thankfulness, with gratitude for what it is that he's done in our lives instead of becoming complacent. Because can I tell you, as children of God, what's so cool about this is not only has we been redeemed, not only has God given us a personal relationship, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have, we're blood relatives. We're in the family of God. Which brings us to the fourth, fourth point, the security of family. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You see, not only was Rahab saved from Jericho, check this out, but she was given a new identity. She became a part of the family of God. Rahab is no longer a Jero, Jerochoian, whatever she would be, Jerochian, and then she's not one of those, right? She is an Israelite. She is one of God's people. It's not the way she was born. Born in the flesh, but now she is walking in the spirit. A new identity. What happened to her, man? She was taken out of the world that she knew and by faith changed and given a new life. Does that sound like anybody we can relate to? Amen. Right? This is what's so cool about this. It's amazing. But what's amazing also is the fact that even though she's redeemed from her old life, her story is not disregarded. This is important. Notice what he says about her in verse number 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. That moniker follows her. Why does it always say Rahab the harlot? What's bad about... See, what happens so many times, we forget where we came from. And that's a dangerous thing for two reasons in particular. First of all, when we forget where we came from and what God saved us from, what can happen is we can become a little bit uh, ungrateful. We can become ungrateful. And not only that, but, and, and some people think, you know, hey, you know what? That's impossible. You don't know what God saved me from. And hey, praise God, I don't. But can I tell you, just from having done this for a few years that I don't care what you've come from, give it enough time in the nature of humanity, and we have a tendency to have a bad memory. And what happens, instead of us recognizing and seeing the sin and the failures of other people and becoming so compassionately identified with them because we know where we came from, we have a tendency after a period of time to sort of see them with eyes of judgment because we have lost sight and the connection to where it is we were. I'm not telling you that we live in the past. We don't. Man, we're supposed to press forward the, towards the mark of the heart calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, we're def we defeated that. It's done. It's gone. But we don't forget our story because our story is important. What happens is not only that, not only does it make us, put us into the place of judgment, but also we, we don't share our story like we used to share it. Our story of brokenness, our story of redemption. Listen, this is important. What happens is we can give hope to people that are completely without hope. They have given up. And what happens is it takes us and it puts us in a situation where we're so far removed from what it is that we were that people no longer hear our story. We're this whitewashed Christian who lives a perfect life. But see, if we think back to the day when God reached us and how filthy we were, oh, but for the grace of God, he set us free. But you know what's so cool about Rahab's story and her brokenness? It's the fact not only did it give hope to people at her time, but countless millions have heard her story throughout the, throughout, through not only today, but even into the future. You know why? Because her name is listed among the heroes of the faith. You go to Hebrews chapter number 11. 
Do you know in the entire Bible, there's only 93 women listed by name in the entire Bible? And then you go to Hebrews 11, there's only two, Sarah and Rahab. And it says Rahab the harlot. You see that right there. Her story, man, her history, her background is despicable. It's sinful. It's awful. But you know what her redemption does? Her redemption points people to the forgiving heart of God. The same way that God takes our brokenness and uses our story to reach out to someone who has given up, that they feel like there is no option for them. Our story has such value because it allows us to reach those that maybe feel like no one, no one cares and no one understands and no one could understand. And what we find here is the fact that God, in this, in this situation, He's helping us to realize and see the fact that her, her, her title is not to wear her down or hurt her. It's, an, it's actually a way of use a, it's a tool that's used throughout time to give people hope. And then He goes a step further. Like, notice this. As He establishes her in the family of God. She also shows up in the book of Matthew in chapter number 1. And what's so amazing about this is notice. Rahab, she had a son. And his name was Boaz. And if you know what the book of Ruth actually is, yes, it's a chronicle of a story, but it's an amazing picture of the redemptive love of God. And what you find is Boaz meets a young woman named Ruth, and he marries her. And he's what's called in the Bible a kinsman redeemer. Redeemer. It's a picture of Christ. Boaz is a picture of Christ, one of the clearest ones you'll see in the Bible. It is amazing. And then what happens is they have a, Boaz has a child named Obed. And then a son named Jesse. And then a son named Obed has a, or and then Jesse has a son named David. And so what you find is through the line of David, that's how we get to the Savior. When you follow the line, that's where it ends up. Whenever Mary, you see the birth of Christ, he is born from the line of David. So Christmas time, when we celebrate this time, we're recognizing the fact that, listen, Rahab is a part of that story. When we go and we think about him and we think about how he is, he's precious and perfect and beautiful and holy, and Rahab the harlot is a part of his story, his family tree, his great-great-grandmother. And we recognize that and we say, wow, What a picture of her eternal identity in the family of God. And what's cool about it is when we look at her eternal identity in the family of God, we also get to see ours. Because the Bible calls us the sons of God. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As our heavenly Father adopts us into the family of God. Listen, 2 Corinthians 6.18 and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This isn't temporary. This, isn't a, this is a permanent. This is a for all of eternity. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Listen, it was through the power of the cross, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord that we were redeemed, not only from our sins, but from the penalty that was attached to that sin. The judgment... We miss the judgment. Recognize this. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Cursed. Not because He was cursed. Because we were. He bore our debt. 
And you see the judgment that we're talking about, the judgment that's deserved because of sin. What's amazing for you and I is it's already happened. It took place. It took place on the cross. When Christ bore our sin, He took the judgment of God upon Himself, lovingly, beautifully caring for us. And not only loving us in that moment, but literally giving His life a sacrifice for us. The Bible says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And in the same way that Rahab is recorded in the Word of God throughout all of eternity, you know what? Can I tell you that our Savior, because of Him, that our name is also listed through all of eternity in a place called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life, which is where it records those that have received the gift of God, those that are truly born again. Because understand, when God does bring judgment upon this world, which He is absolutely going to do, when He brings judgment, He's going to examine the names recorded in His books. For some, this is going to be joyous, glorious celebration. But for others, it'll be the most horrific event any human being could ever possibly imagine. It's going to be horrific. Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. I'm almost done. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and, the, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it. And death and hell were delivered up, uh, delivered up which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen, if you're born again, your name is in the book of life. Praise God. We need not worry about the judgment. Ours was done on the cross. But there is a judgment that's coming. So listen, after all that we've been shown today, the sorrow of God, the sorrow of judgment, the glory of redemption, the intimacy of salvation, and the security of family, man, it's time we get serious about the things of God and the souls of men. Because can I tell you this? Our job, why God created us and saved us, is that so you and I through our lives would bring the lost people that we know in this world from being broken, vulnerable, fearful, and hopeless to safe and secure. We have the answer. They need it desperately. We celebrate his birth this season. But it's not only just the birth, it's the death. It sets us free and makes us safe and secure. The world needs to hear the truth. We don't share it through anger. We don't share it through rage. We share it the truth in love. Reach out to your family. Let them know the truth of who Christ is and why this season is important. Love you guys. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, God, for what you've shown us. Lord, as you've taken us through this scripture in the book of Joshua and shown us such remarkable truths, I do thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you help us to have ears to hear and Lord, lives that will reflect what we've heard. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, you know, Pastor, I need prayer. Right now in my life, I'm not, I'm not the witness that I should be. 
I find so many times that I know I should say something, but for whatever reason, I don't. And I'm asking for God to give me boldness. Pastor, would you pray for me to be bold? Would you pray for me to be bold in my faith? That may yes, amen. I see that hand. Raise your hand and say, look, you know, that's me. Pray for me that I would be bold in my faith. Amen, amen, amen. That God would use my life. For those that are here today, those online, and you say, look, you know, I don't even know if I know Christ. Listen, 20 years ago, I didn't know the Lord. I knew nothing about God. I, had a, I knew what religion was. I knew what God, who God was, supposedly. But I never knew Christ. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. And if you're here today and you say, look, you know, I'm religious. I know about Jesus. Great. But my question is this. Do you have a personal walk with him? Was there a moment in time in your life when you met him in person and it changed you from that day forward? You came from where you were to who you are now and there's a dramatic change. You walk in the spirit of God because he is a part of you. Or are you just struggling in your flesh to try to look religious and do the right thing? Bottom line is God is calling us to, to, to holiness. He's calling us to righteousness, but it's not ours. We'll never do it on our own. It's through receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If he's calling your heart today, all you have to do is respond. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, an opportunity for God to do a work in your life. It's not about you. It's about recognizing that you're the problem and he's the solution. He's willing to receive you right now exactly as you are. The question is, will you receive him? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're willing to receive Christ, you know you need him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It won't be the words of the prayer that will do anything for you because he's listening directly to your heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me. Remember, you're not talking to me. You're talking to God. You can speak to him in your heart, in your mind, or out loud. It's up to you. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I understand that you love me in spite of myself. I understand that you died for me. And by faith, I'm trusting in the gift that you offer the world. By faith, I receive you as my Savior. By faith, I repent of my sins. By faith, I give you my heart. Lord, I do pray that you'll help me to walk with you from this day forward. Guide me and direct me that I might live for you and bring you glory. I will see you in heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still.